by Pam Betts. Pam is Executive Director of Catholic Education in Brisbane by Mirat Dizdar. He's the Deputy Secretary of School Performance from the Education Department in New South Wales and by Alan Shaw, the immediate past principal of the Knox School in Melbourne. So I want to get comments from all of you on in terms of what you've heard and then we'll get into a, a Q&A. Pam, if I can go to you first. I mean, do you broadly agree with, with uh, that sobering judgment of Michael's that we really, the 2010s have been all about getting better at a bad game. Um, Good morning, Maxine, and um, thanks, Michael, for that address. Um, Interesting questions. Um, uh, I I will challenge the getting better at a bad game, I think, Um, and I want to pick up on Michael's comment about the lost decade, and that was the time he worked with us, and I think we made great progress in BCE. So while it was the lost decade, I don't think all is lost. And uh, we continue to work because we focus on our students. Um, I think when we worked with Michael, we worked through his work on coherence and also on nuance. Um, But I think critically engagement is is most important as we move forward. If I look at the lost decade, I think, Michael, we didn't go deep enough. Uh, We didn't get into each and every classroom. And until we make change at that level, um, unilaterally across every system, um, we are not going to get the engagement and the learning and well-being that comes with that for our students. So I think that's absolutely critical. And um, we need to um, create the right conditions for that. So I'll just have a couple of comments in the um, minute and a half that I've got. I think student learning is integrally connected and responsive to student wellbeing. They go together. And a lot of what we're talking about in this pandemic era is era is the wellbeing and how young people are going to emerge from this. Um, we've got young people who have spent their senior years of schooling in lockdown and haven't had the learning opportunities nor the social opportunities to engage in life because we want students to not only learn, but be good at life. And I think well-being for young people is around giving them purpose, um, connecting them to that broader sense of meaning, um, a sense of belonging, self-worth and self-efficacy. So engagement links well-being and learning. Too often in education, we talk about engagement as attendance, behaviour, completion. It actually needs to go much deeper to that than that. And learning occurs when students engage and engage in meaningful learning. So I think that's critical. So what leadership do we need to engage learners deeply in their learning? If I go to nuance, and when we were working with Michael, we developed a, a working definition of nuance. And we said, Action informed by deep contextual literacy. The context is changing. We need to deeply understand the context. What is changing during this absolutely unique time in the story of the lives of the young people we're working with at the moment? And therefore, how do we prepare them for their future, not our past? Because it is about the young people in our classrooms now. The people in BCE will often have heard me say they only get one shot at year three. Every year they are at school is absolutely critical. So time is ticking and we need to be aware of that for our students. 
So leadership is not positional leadership. Everyone in our system can show leadership in supporting students and their learning. And that leadership needs to be courageous. Too often we talk about risk. Yes, we do need to do risk analysis and all those sorts of things that we learn and take from the corporate world. But unless we can take courageous risks, we are not serving our young people in our schools. So leadership is about courage, wisdom and commitment to the education of the young people in our schools. My final point then is systemness. And Michael talked a little bit about system and there's the word system is bandied around a lot. We need a common understanding of what that is because we all talk about it as in a different way. But the crux of it is that it's not competition in education. All of us, regardless of the sector we are in, are committed to the education of young people. So therefore, we are called to work together and we are called to work together for each of our students, because as I said, we want to prepare them for their future, not our past. I think we can achieve remarkable things um, with all of the, the wisdom that we have across education in Australia, and I think we can achieve great things for our students. And thank you. And if I could go to uh, Marat now. Marat, look, I know that um, I'm certainly across the country and I'm particularly in your state. I mean, massive effort has gone in over the past 10 years. Mm. Um, funding, um, thoughtful policy, huge focus on, on equity. But to come to Michael's question, has it been a lost decade for the students? Um, lovely to join you all. Can I acknowledge the Wongal people? I'm on their wonderful country. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm very optimistic, Michael. I believe it's going to be the flourishing decade because I'm seeing the remarkable work of the profession on the ground. Here in New South Wales, vast parts of the state, Michael, are still learning from home and they're looking, yearning for the school gates to open. But what I see from the profession is this enormous loyalty, and Pam was talking about this as well, this enormous loyalty to a better future, which you've written about, Michael, that the educators, you remind them that they are the system, that they are daily connecting people to each other's humanity and this has been profoundly manifest in front of us during COVID and lockdown, that, that they've walk, walked both ends of the street, that they've catered for and uh, looked after student wellbeing whilst also trying to promote academic progress. So I am I am heartened by how the profession has, uh, has twisted and turned to look at their school structures, to look at their timetable, to recognise their student cohort, so that they can best meet their needs. You know, if I take you to deep southwestern Sydney here uh, and one of our fantastic high schools in Sir Joseph Banks High School, they're operating on a half-day timetable uh, in a modified structure in small class sizes to meet student need and then running tutorials and wellbeing workshops to make sure that they can keep their very disadvantaged community connected and engaged uh, uh, with uh, with learning. Michael, your Edmund quote was fantastic to read and it reminded me of Sol Bellow, a fantastic author, who says that words are the poor person's arsenal and I believe that uh, education is charged with closing the gaps, accelerating the foundations for learners 
and during a very, very challenging education period here that we're still not out of in New South Wales, the professions work at being able to recognise and still connect with learners with vast gaps who have not tasted success in learning, who can fall and disappear from the system, uh, really heartens me that when the gates are reopened, that our, our new and revised know-how uh, should not be lost. And I think, uh, Maxine, for people like me in my role, we've got to make sure that we've got a bias for yes here, that we allow the Sir Joseph Banks to continue with their structures and not shoehorn them back into nine to three operations to take the learnings out of COVID for their context and say double down, double down on it if it's working. Okay. Well, look, just to ratify, if I can, sorry to interrupt you there, but as a, Michael's given us a very big challenge here. Michael's basically saying it's not just Australia he's talking about. Basically, we've come to the end of the way the system interacts with the profession. So what if it's not to be more of the same, if it's not to be another lost decade, what's saying New South Wales, apart from sort of saying you can be more flexible about hours? How do you go to the heart of what Michael's saying? New purpose, new pedagogies, new cultures, new metrics. Are you wrapping your heads around this in New South Wales? Well, we are. We've, um, for example, you know, from our traditional summative assessments, we've had fantastic check-in assessments here, Michael, uh, that are tied to the syllabus, that are point in time, that are very low stakes, that have had 90% uptake in a voluntary environment so that our workforce can can help close what those gaps look like. So I think they're demanding from the system tools and resources that aid and assist as opposed to uh, mandate and uh, just drive for what um, system performance may look like as opposed to individual student performance. There's a massive curriculum reform here in New South Wales, Michael, uh, to, to strip out uh, and bring back uh, the possibility of deep engagement and deep learning in syllabus, in overcrowded syllabuses. So I think um, what I'm seeing is the profession stand up stronger and demand from the system uh, tools, resources, professional learning that connects uh, the learning from the ground and assist them uh, with those young people that are in front of them. All right, thank you. And let me go to you, uh, Alan, for your response uh, to what you heard from Michael. Thank you, Maxine and Adam, and welcome to all of you here today. And I'd like to, like David, acknowledge the, the Wurundjeri people because I'm sitting on their land. My, my comments would be I'm in furious agreement with Michael, what Michael has said um, on m most things. I don't, I don't um, think that the last decade has been um, futile. I think there's a lot of work going on that's perhaps even subterranean. There's a lot of change going on in a lot of schools as they work towards going public on a lot of this thing. And if we look at how change management works, often you work very, very hard for quite a long time, going seemingly nowhere, and then change starts to occur. My networks would suggest that there are many, many schools that are working in this space quietly, um, there are many, many teachers doing it in classrooms. Um, I think we do run the risk that it may not flourish, but I don't think it's actually at this stage been futile. The capacity building, I think, is starting to um, spread. And I, I draw the attention of people to two things. One is the Melbourne University Graduate School of Education's new metrics um, 
pilot schemes where Professor Milligan and 37 schools are developing new metrics for assessments that follow roughly the six Cs that Michael has outlined. And also then there's a, a other organisations such as the Future Schools Alliance, which is doing amazing networking work. So it is starting to, to roll, I think. And certainly that's what I've lived the last seven years in the school that I ran and my networks around independent and Catholic and government schools suggest there are similar things happening in many other places, albeit it's not a momentum that's become public. And I'd, I'd like to just finish with a quote that comes out of um, Michael's own paper, The Right Drivers, on page 34, uh, Girahandras. Um, My goal is to create change, but change doesn't happen if you're just campaigning for it or if, on the other side, you're just theorising about it. And there are very few organisations, in my experience, that are places where you both have thought leadership like real thought leadership, like changing how textbooks are written, and have the patience and humility and the empathy because you know how to listen. You need to know how to actually work over a long, patient period to sit down and help change makers carry it out. It's easy to preach. There are many preachers of what the good thing is to do. There are very few who sit down and do it. And that's the, the life that I've lived the last seven years. I got sick of listening to people theorise. I went back to a school from a national position and my job was to make it happen, to work out the how. It is possible. It is happening. Thanks, Maxine. Mm. Mm. Alan, uh, well said and another good quote. Uh, David, can I bring you in here? Uh, David, I remember you saying, <coughs> excuse me, after I think the first period of the lockdown last year here in, in Victoria that there were already some fascinating lessons coming out of it and one was that the profession was saying we're, we're not going to go back to how it was. You know, this has shown us that, in fact, we can make all sorts of changes. Where are you at now on that? Um, and in particular in this response to uh, what Michael has said to us, that the 2020s have got to be different. Yeah, thanks, Maxine. Thanks, Michael. And uh, really interesting hearing the others' um, reflections. Um, you know, in the spirit of um, engagement, Michael, I'd, I'd say that, um, honestly, I, I probably profoundly disagree um, with your analysis of where we're at. Certainly, I'll only speak from Victoria. And, it, and it's in part because of our experience over the last 18 months, which feels a bit like it's kind of ripped back a curtain. And we've been actually able to see what's been happening under the surface. And what we've, you know, Maxine, there's plenty that people have learned uh, and, and plenty has already been written about the way in which um, learning how to use digital technologies to connect with students, to provide new experiences, to enable students to learn more at their own pace has been uh, to provide for professional kind of learning in exactly the way that we are participating in now. You know, certainly has accelerated and they're going to be things that we're going to take take forward. Um, but um, there's a... Uh, there's there's a level of connection that's happened and a, and, a, and a level of understanding the profound role that schools play as social institutions, right? not just as institutions of learning, but as places that bring communities together. Uh, and that's been a lived reality, you know, and the, the work that schools have done in supporting the most vulnerable and those students who've had to be uh, supported on site while their parents have been essential workers has been one indicator of that. But the, the extent to which um, schools have gone to connect with students in different ways uh, has uh, just 
has illustrated, I think, um, what plenty of people have known intuitively, but it's not been as explicit before, that that especially, Michael, and then I will agree with you on, 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 on the change that we're experiencing, but as other social institutions um, play a less prominent role in our community, schools are stepping into that space and they are the fulcrum around which plenty of our communities have operated and they've been a, a source of uh, advice and of support in all kinds of ways through to the reality of helping families put food on the table to helping kids accelerate their learning in ways that we wouldn't have been able to predict before. Um, so I, I don't share that pessimistic view of the role of schools. I feel there is a profound optimism that, that, is, uh, that is emerging, uh, even in the middle of what have been and continue to be really challenging times. Uh, I think my last point, Maxine, will be again, the role that schools are playing in, uh, in shaping social attitudes. Right? The issue of consent has been one that, that schools have stepped into. Right? These really difficult um, uh, social conversations that need to be had to lead to the kind of world that we all want to share in schools are playing a profound role in that. So I, 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 I wouldn't characterise this as a lost decade. I would characterise certainly, you know, the most recent years as being times of a rediscovery of what it means to commit to equity. Uh, certainly we've learned new ways of, of, uh, of supporting the achievement of excellence, but, but a profound understanding that, rule, that schools are places that do really play the most important role in supporting students' well-being in addition to their learning. But, David, how does all of what you said, how does that sit with what Michael is saying, where if we come back to the students, as he said, I think it was only 30% probably engaged, and even then they, some of them might be pretty miserable, right? So as he's saying, it's the schools that are not organised for deep learning and engagement. Do you think, do you think, you think he's... You think he's off the mark there? I don't think the lived reality of people in most schools would be that only 30% of their students are engaged. I don't think that would be the day-to-day -day experience. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, challenging that, that research. I, I would say, though, that I don't think that's the lived reality of, uh, of, of most of the people that would, be, that would be in this room. Of course, there are things that... Of course, there are kids that aren't engaged, right? And, one of the, again, one of the challenges that we've got of the experience of the last 18 months is identifying and supporting those students who have found remote learning really difficult and connecting with them. But I, I, think, uh, I think the lived experience of most people who are part of this conversation would be that, and been demonstrated again by the level of connection that's occurred during this really, really challenging time, is that the, the, the majority, which again, that kind of sounds like you're dismissing the experience of the minority, which I'm not, but I'm saying we have got a very strong basis to build on. Okay. Uh, Adam, can I bring you in at this point? You've been listening to what our, what our participants have been saying. And yeah, I have, and it's been a, a fabulous opportunity for me to sort of, I, I guess, observe the conversation. And I, th I feel like this is where it, it leaves us at the moment, is in the middle of a conversation between somebody with immense experience, as Michael does, in being able to observe the system, uh, for, and also the conversation of the people who work within those systems and what their experience of it is at the, at the almost, um, you know, like a, a, a micro kind of, 
uh, more of a micro level. Um, and I think that if nothing else, um, this opens up a conversation for us that needs to be explored further. For instance, Michael, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in your notion of the difference between student voice and agency. <sighs> And student enactment, and I don't know whether we have time to answer that in a couple of se- in, a, in a few in just a minute or so. But I think that's a that that for me is a conversation um, for us to for us to have that will help us to be able to work out what exactly the school leaders who are here today are supposed to do um, as a result of hearing this panel today. Okay, in fact, we have got a couple of minutes, so Michael, let me come back to you. Yeah, I would, uh, this is uh, this is a great conversation, and I want to. In one way, I want to say to David, you proved my point. My point is, uh, and the things that you were noticing are things that have happened since 2020. They were brewing before that, but the pandemic has enabled the positive anomalies to come out of the woodwork, to be more visible. And this is the promise for the next, the the Moochop moment. We have to... uh, link to those positive things that were in the minority and, and make them mainstream for this decade. That's the moonshot uh, issue. And on the question of engagement, uh, somebody mentioned uh, Sandra Milligan and the assessment metrics. We're partnering with her. And when she asked students in uh, years uh, 11 and 12, to what extent has uh, school uh, fit you for purpose in life? The majority of them spontaneously say, not at all. I learned the things that I really needed to know, uh, you know, in the summer programs and with my jobs and all of that. Now that's kind of that them uh, talking, but uh, but when they uh, they they're talking, I'm talking about this decade since 2020, since pandemic pandemic has given us the golden opportunity for 2022 and onward to take the good things that admittedly were happening, but we're in the minority and make them the core of the new the new things that I talked about in the four new, uh, the new purpose and new culture, et cetera. So, uh, so we're almost in, in agreement, but, there, but the action remains to be done to make the core changes we're talking about. Okay, on that note, Michael, uh, thank you very much uh, indeed uh, for joining us this morning. It's, it's always a pleasure. And, and to our panel as well, to, to Pam, uh, to David, to Marat and to Alan, 